0: Pray, and then we'll spend a little bit of time in the book of Proverbs, and then we'll uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins. We just ask that as we spend time in your Word this morning, your Spirit would be working, causing us to see the truth of your Word, our own sinfulness, that your Spirit would be working and encouraging us to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would walk in love towards one another and that we would seek to honor and glorify your son, Jesus Christ. We just ask for this time that our hearts would be focused on your word and that you would help me share the truth in a way that is honoring to you and clear so that we may understand your word together and uh, do what you ask us to do. We thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen. I know that there's been a lot lately said about the American dream and the pursuit of the American dream. I'm sure that if we asked each one of us what that American dream looks like, it would probably be quite different from person to person, and I know that our country was founded on uh, a couple truths that we say these are inalienable truths, and in our Declaration of Independence, uh, Thomas Jefferson penned that we should that that we we strive for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's kind of an interesting statement. The pursuit of happiness—it's to pursue whatever you, you think makes you happy. And on the one hand, I, I really appreciate that sentiment. Uh, I'd much rather live in the United States than some country that's controlled by some dictator who will tell me what I need to do to make him happy, and that I at least get the opportunity to pursue those things that make me happy. However, the problem with that, scripturally speaking, is that sometimes, lots of times, all the time, there are things that make us happy that are not worth pursuing. They're sinful. And so though our country says, yeah, you can pursue happiness... I think the scriptures would call us to a pursuit of holiness, to a pursuit of wisdom, not folly. And as I look at the scripture, and I see what God would want for us, and, and I, look at, I look at it from you know, all the books, thinking about all those major commandments, the Lord Jesus says that there would be two major commandments, right? To love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That's the great commandment. Every single verse we could say is an explanation of what does that look like for a person to love God completely. Then there's the second part. The second part then is to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Those are the two great commandments. And a lot of the Bible is fleshing out those commandments. And so this morning, we're going to look at some some more fleshing out of those two commandments. And in this text, we're going to see some things that we are to pursue, right? These are the pursuits of a wise person. These are the things that you and I should pursue, these certain behaviors and certain attitudes. So turn with me to Proverbs chapter 25. We're going to be in verses 23 through 27 as we talk about The pursuit of the believer or the pursuit of a wise person. And in this text, we're going to see three things that we should pursue. Three things. So in verses 23 through 24, we're going to see that we need to pursue peace. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be peacemakers, pursuing peace. We'll talk about that in a second. Verse 25, we are to pursue the edification of our brothers and sisters right so we're supposed to pursue peace we're supposed to build up people we're supposed to build up our brothers and sisters we're supposed to share the good news with those who don't know Jesus and then lastly verses 25 and 26 or 26 and 27 excuse me we're going to see that there needs to be a pursuit of worship a pursuit of worship so let's notice this first pursuit in verses 23 and 24 of Proverbs 25, this pursuit of peace. And notice, notice what Solomon says here. He says, the north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue angry looks. Okay? So because we don't live in Israel, and this might be a little bit difficult for us. What does he mean that a northern wind brings rain? In Israel, the weather patterns, a north wind does not bring rain. In fact, normally when you would have a north wind, that would clear away all the weather. That would be something that you would kind of look forward to, right? It would clear the clouds away. So if you have a north wind that you would expect to clear away the weather, to have no storm attached to it, and all of a sudden there's a north wind with a storm, that could cause some serious problems. People would say, that's not normal. That's not the normal way things are supposed to happen. It's, 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 it, it's, it's unexpected. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when weather doesn't act the way that it's supposed to, that can be incredibly infuriating, right? You just go, who's in charge of this? I'd like to talk to the weather's boss, uh, right? It, it, it's just not expected. It, it's something, it's something that, that, that is painful, something that hurts, something that, something that you go, this isn't right. And so Solomon then uses this, 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 this strange weather pattern right? Of a, of a northern wind that's not supposed to have rain all of a sudden now brings rain. He says this, this is very much like a person who has a backbiting tongue brings angry looks. Okay, So the word for backbiting here would be the word for gossip, have the idea of slander, but it has with it the idea of whisper, right? Just whisper. So, so it, it's those types of go- It's that type of gossip. It's that type of slander that, that is whispered behind someone's back. That's the idea here. So, it's behind someone's back. It, it, they're not meant to hear it, but you're saying something about someone else. That's whether it's true or not. You're trying to defame their character, cause somebody to lose trust in that person. You're trying to hurt that person's reputation and you're doing it behind their back, whether it's out loud, but here it's whispered. And so the sense is this type of tongue, this type of person that would do this, what does it produce? Does it, does it produce sunshine? Does, it, does, does, everybody, does everybody walk away going, you know what? I'm really glad that somebody spread gossip about me behind my back and slandered my, my reputation. I'm so thankful that that happened. Is that what happens with slander and gossip behind our back? No, it's always the opposite, right? And instead, notice what it says. It says it brings angry looks. The idea is that you really upset people. This is something that is upsetting. This is a type of wound that not only hurts you and your reputation, but it hurts the other person you're talking about. It even hurts the person who's listening to this. I don't think God's happy when we slander and we gossip. I, I, I don't think he likes that. I, I don't think he likes it when we slander and gossip on Facebook. I don't think he likes it when we slander and gossip at the workplace. I, I don't think he likes it when we listen to people that slander and gossip on TV. I, I don't think he's happy with this. This isn't something that we should be excited about. But Here's the problem. We all love gossip. I mean, I love gossip. I, I, I love the gossip. There's something very satisfying about it. And, and, I, and I know that we all do. You want to know why I know this is such a big problem? Because how many times Solomon has brought up the issue of gossip in the book of Proverbs? We all like a little juicy piece of, of news or a juicy pit of what's happening with our neighbor's lives. or We, we, we like that type of stuff. But this is, this is bad. This is bad. And realize that when we gossip, gossip comes from our heart, right? Jesus talks about sin and gossip coming from our heart. It's also interesting, too. Remember when we were in Proverbs 16 where Solomon said a whispering or slander, this type of whispering slander separates friends. We see... uh, in numerous places, that a fool is the one who spreads who spreads slander. There's another interesting use of this word slander and gossip. Go with me to the book of Romans 1. Now, I know that a lot of times when we think of Romans 1, we think of some particular sins, and of course they're bad sins, but we normally start in verse 18 and we talk about how God's wrath is revealed from heaven against ungodliness of these unrighteous men and we talk about how these people suppress the truth and we go that's bad because you're suppressing the truth and then what ends up happening is is we see that they're without excuse because God created the world and creation has in it knowledge of God right so he reveals himself and in, in what is made, he, he reveals himself in the conscience of man. So no one's without excuse. So then we see in verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their in their thinking, and their foolish minds were darkened. Right? And so they claim to be wise, but they're fools. And there's this great exchange that happens, right? They, they, they take the image of the incorruptible God, and they exchange that for the image of these beasts and of these these things that we see on earth and then we then we're quick to look at this other passage right in verse 26 where it says and that for this reason god gave them over to dishonoring passions and we say that's the result of idolatry is this this immoral sense of homosexuality right of these men and women burning for their desires for one another What what is interesting is when you keep on reading on, because Paul doesn't stop there. He's just not concerned with this one sin because his whole point is everyone is a sinner and stands condemned under the wrath of God. And this turning over may look like this particular sin. But notice notice what he says then in, in the next verse, in verse 28. He says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind, To do those things that ought not to be done. And they are filled with a manner of unrighteousness, evil, uh, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers. You understand that an idolater does all of these things. That that when you suppress the truth, this is what non-believers do. So when a church and when a Christian does these things... This is like an idolater. This is exactly what idolatrous people do. They slander and they gossip. Really good way to destroy any movement of God or any fellowship or any church. Let's just start gossiping. And let's start taking that stuff serious. It's a great way to destroy what's happening here. As a church, we should not... Gossip, we should not tolerate gossip, we should not encourage gossip, we should look for opportunities to gossip about other people, and when people start gossiping, one of the responses should be, you know, let's go talk to that person about some of the stuff you're saying, because if it's really that serious, then we all need to have a discussion about it, instead of just you talking about them behind their back. This, this shouldn't be something that happens here, because if we go back to Proverbs, notice Notice what this type of tongue does. It causes angry looks. It causes resentment. It's not bringing people together. It's not building people up. It's not encouraging them to live for Jesus. It's not looking out for their best interest. It's selfish. It's mean. It's hurtful. And it disintegrates. Now, it's interesting if you go to the next verse, we've already seen this in Proverbs 21. And it's a direct quote from Proverbs 21, verse 9. Notice what he says. Um, He says, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. As I said then, and I'll say again, one of my favorite quotes from one of the commentators is, many husbands do not need a commentary on what this means. I thought that was funny. But we get the sense, and I don't think that Solomon's necessarily just picking on wives. I think this would be any person, any spouse, right? Of course it's better to live on a roof exposed to all the weather than to stick around a person who's constantly looking for a fight, right? You would say, just get me out of here. I don't want to be with this person anymore. I'm willing willing to jeopardize my health and my life to get away from a person who is constantly wanting to fight. We should also observe the proximity to the last verse. right? So he talks about this backbiting, this this malicious gossip. Part of this quarrel that may happen in this household is one of the spouse, we'll just use the wife, because that's what Solomon uses here. That the wife is gossiping about the husband. And the husband says, that's not right. It's not right. And it it causes what? Fracture. It's not peace. It doesn't bring for peace. It's not the thing that brings them together. It's the thing that separates them. That that causes them to to, to separate and, and be... Be angry and resentful towards each other. So as I think of this, it, it, it's amazing to me how often the New Testament exalts this idea of peace and being peaceable, to be at peace with each other, right? What does Jesus say in Matthew 5? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. If you gossip, you're not a peacemaker, Right? I guess we would say, what, what's the opposite of a peacemaker? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's like last week. Remember we talked about a wise guy in the two different meanings. When I grew up, a peacemaker was a revolver that was used to settle the peace. So either you're a peacemaker that brings people together or you're a revolver. Shoots people. Kills people. There's another passage also in the book of Romans. Go with me to Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 18. And notice, notice here what is said. Paul says this. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you. That's an important qualification. As far as it depends on you. Meaning that, that whatever is about ready to follow, it may or may not happen. But, but as far as you're concerned... And as far as your conscience is concerned, and your walk with the Lord, you have done everything you can do, right? That's the idea. So as as, as much as it depends on you, live peaceable with all, right? We are to live at peace with people. Our, Our behavior and our sin will drive people away. And so the solution then is to walk by the power of the Spirit, Yielding the fruit of the Spirit, right? And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Right? To be peaceable. When we walk by the power of the Spirit, not only do we have that peace from God, knowing that we're right with God, but we also strive to be at peace with others and be peaceable with others. It's sad how many times... We like to gossip. We like to fight. We like to be contentious. We like to be cantankerous. We like to be all those other types of things. And we cause fractures within relationships. We're not willing to fight for the peace of of each other. and, And we're not willing to forgive. We're not willing to ask for forgiveness of those we've wronged. We're not willing to forgive those who wronged us. In my opinion, this is one of the great strengths of Christianity, that we're able to forgive We're we're able to be at peace with others who hurt us. We're able to live peaceably with others. This is something that we should pursue. This is something that should be constantly on our mind of, what what, what should I be pursuing in my life? Peace. Be, Be somebody who's known that makes the peace and keeps the peace. There's another thing. Notice the next thing in verse 25 Verse twenty-five it says, "Like cold water to a thirsty person or a thirsty soul is good news from a far country." Uh, we all know how great a cold drink of water is after a hard day's work, right? Uh, you've been working hard, the hot sun, and what do you get? You get cool water, cold water, ice cold water, and it just man, there's really nothing like it, right? It's incredibly refreshing. You're tired, you're working hard, it's great. Some of you might go, well, it might be better like a cold soda. You know, cold soda after a hard day's work is great. Whatever. It's, it's a refreshment, right? That's the idea. So refreshing after you work. And, and the idea of thirsty here is thirsty because you've exerted energy, right? So, so this is speaking about a thirsty person who has been working hard and this, this cold water is incredibly refreshing. It's like, notice the second part, is like good news from a far country. So today's world, we're very spoiled and privileged that we can hear about things that are happening in real time. You want to know what's happening, turn on Facebook, or you can look on Twitter, you can turn on the internet, you can watch YouTube. and You can find out what's happening live because there's cameras there. Right now, we are live streaming this service for some people who are not here, right? In the ancient world, they didn't have these things, right? So news traveled incredibly slow. So imagine you're thinking about someone who's a loved one, and they live a far way away. They live a couple days' journey, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Maybe they have an illness or something's going on with the family or finances, and and you're concerned, and and you're thinking about it, and you're praying for them, and you're like, what's going on? What's going on? I I I wish I could go there right now and see, but you can't. So you're waiting for a letter. You're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting days, weeks, sometimes months for news of safety, news of what's going on. And imagine that long wait, and then finally when the message comes, the letter comes, how refreshing that is. We we see an example of this, remember when when the Apostle Paul was waiting for Titus, and and waiting about the news of what happened in the church of Corinth. And and you get the sense that he was kind of agitated, he wanted to know, he wanted to know, so he started to travel towards Corinth to find out how Titus was doing, how the situation that the church is doing. That's the sense, is... There's like all this friction and and, and all of a sudden then there's good news and there's refreshment from this good news. And as I think about this text, I'm sure that there's a lot of things that we hear that is really great news, right? That's really, uh, that really refreshes our soul. Like when we hear that the Lord answers our prayers about certain things, then isn't that great? When we get news about the Lord answering prayer, we hear a good report, of somebody's health, we hear a report of somebody's safety. We go, Amen. That's great, and isn't that refreshing? That, that's refreshing. Isn't it refreshing when we're reminded of the news that's found in God's Word? When we come together and we listen to God's Word, isn't that isn't that refreshing? You, you hear some of the stuff, and you're encouraged to continue to live for Jesus. You're you're encouraged by His promises. You're 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 strengthened by the commands. You're 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 properly. Uh, filled with godly sorrow as, as we look at the text and we're convicted of sin. And there's something very refreshing and therapeutic about that. I also think of the times when I, I've i watched people and I've, I've shared the gospel with people. And I've heard people as they talk about when the Lord opened their eyes and worked in their heart and they heard the gospel. The refreshing nature of the gospel message. Uh, The Apostle Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And when Paul was talking about it, he was talking about the gospel witness of the church. How how, how beautiful that is and how refreshing that is to a community. How refreshing that is to sinners who are dying under the weight of their sin. But then they hear this incredible news that Jesus came down and died on the cross for their sins, was buried and rose again on the third day. And those who place their faith and Jesus alone can be set free from that. And they're now saved and they now have this right relationship with the Lord Jesus, or with, with God. That, that's incredible news. That's incredibly refreshing news. And so instead of being like the other people in verses 24 and 23 of gossiping behind people's back and being that type of person that everybody wants to get away from, he said, I'd rather live on the roof in the middle of a storm than be in the same house as you. Maybe we should consider verse 25 and say, you know what? I want to be refreshing. I don't want that person that gets really excited when I leave a room. Right? I want to be that person that's encouraging. I want to be that person that's sharing the word that's sharing the good news of Jesus that's always building people up I want to be that person I want to be that person that edifies that that, that's the type of person I want to be I want to be that 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 drink of cool water on a hot day that person that brings good news now as I said last week sometimes we bring this news and it might not immediately be received as great news it might not necessarily be received as something worth, uh, worth, worth time thinking about and people will react negatively to it. But praise be God who works in the hearts of people. And, and as his word is preached and as we talk to people about Jesus and the gospel and as we talk to one another and we encourage one another to live for Jesus, those who are his will find those things to be incredibly refreshing and and they will they will respond in a proper way and that that 's what we should seek to be we should seek to be those people that are refreshing that brings good news that talks wants to build up, encourage people to do what 's right, encourage people to live for jesus right I remember one time I was at a church uh, and uh, the well, after, after my sermon, I was, a, I was a guest speaker and he came and he said, you know, I, I don't want to give too many compliments because I don't want people to, to get a big head. And I thought, on the one hand, I understand that. On the other hand, what's wrong with overly encouraging people? Like, what's wrong with encouraging people too much? I, I don't know if... Now, we can we can go overboard, right? And we can give people a big head, but... To say, hey, I'm really thankful for you and what the Lord's doing in your life. And thank you for, for doing that. That really encouraged me. That's not wrong. We, it's not like there's a shortage of encouragement money. And we've got to keep it for the great, the great recession that's coming. So let's hoard all of our encouragements because we don't know what the future's going to hold. No, we need to be those who are encouraging constantly building up constantly, right? That, that, that's the sense we should we get from here. So we should, be, we should be like the cold drink of water. Now, we're now going to move to this next thing that we're supposed to pursue is worship. And it's interesting that he still is on this issue of water, right? And he talks about a pretty precarious situation that happens with water. So notice what he says in the next verse. Verse twenty six, he says, "Like a muddied spring or polluted fountain, is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked." So the the word here for a muddied spring would be like a would be it would be a, a water source that cattle kind of walked in uh, all of the stuff that comes with animals, beasts of burden, and all the stuff that they do, and as they're trampling and they're living around this water source. They contaminate it, right? Because of all of the stuff that animals do when they do all of the stuff that they do, it becomes poisonous. In, in Wyoming, there's a lot of stock ponds for stock animals, and you never want to drink out of those. You, you see that white rim of I don't know what it is, but it looks gross and it smells gross and you go, no thank you. I'd rather live or die of thirst than to die from what's in there, right? So that's the idea, right? So it's, it's poisoned water. It's gross. It's sickening. You look at it, and you're just, oh, gross. And, and then the idea of a polluted fountain, maybe from the same cause. It, it may just be from natural, or, or it may be somebody poisoned it. Maybe somebody put hemlock in it. I don't, I don't know. It, something happens with the water, right? That's the idea. The water source is bad. And it's become foul. You can smell. It smells bad. It, it, it tastes bad. It, it's poison. That's the idea. It's poisonous. It'll kill you. It'll make you really sick. So, so on the one hand, a messenger who brings good news is like what? Cold, refreshing water. This other example, this is gross, polluted water. Right? And it's probably lukewarm on top of it. right? So there's no quality about it that's great. So, so notice the simile that he uses then. He says, so this is like a, 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 a muddied spring is like a righteous man who gives way. A lot of discussion by the commentators of what does this phrase give way mean. It's most likely what this refers to is one who succumbs to temptation. This is talking about someone who's righteous and they are given to a sin and it becomes habitual. They don't try to work on it. There's no repentance of this sin. There's no, there's no attempt to try to curve it. It's not something that they go to a prayer meeting and say, pray for me. I'm struggling with this sin this morning. It is they are fully accepting of it Fully endorsing it, fully giving themselves to this sin. When a righteous person does that, gives in to a temptation, who does this anti-worship thing, right? Not doing what's appropriate according to God's grace and according to his word, but they're, they're they're, they're doing the opposite, right? Instead of submission, they're acting rebellious. This person who gives way. Is like poison when they give away before the wicked. And you go, how is a righteous person that gives away to temptation like poison? How would that be poisonous? One, poisonous to themselves, right? Given into these fleshly indulgences, this this rampant, open, accepting sinfulness. That's hurtful to you. Think about the others that are around you as well. That hurts them. Your sin never just hurts you. Your sin hurts people around you. Think about this. Think about if this person had any clout. People would come to them and say, look, I know you're a righteous person. Give me some advice. This person is given to their sin Are we going to guarantee that their sin or the advice that they give isn't tainted a little bit by their poisonous sin? I think one of the great examples of this particular text would be that of David and Bathsheba, right? The father and mother of Solomon. You think of David's sin. What did that cause? That caused two people to die. It was poisonous. It it fractured his kingdom. And then you think of Solomon himself, interestingly enough, right? Solomon wasn't necessarily uh, learned the lesson of his dad. In fact, he's like, I'll take what my dad did and I'll up it, right? And I'll have 7,000 wives. And what did they do? They took him away from the Lord. And what ended up happening from that, that, del- that walking away? The fracture of the nation of Israel. It's poison. It's dangerous. It, it, it caused a whole bunch of people to walk away from the Lord. Poison, it's poison. That's what it's like when Christians fail to walk by the power of the Spirit, when we fail to worship, when we fail to honor Jesus, keeping our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can become poisonous. I'm so very thankful for the word. I'm so very thankful for all that the Lord's given us. I'm so very thankful that he he demands perfection. But I'm also very thankful for this one other fact. That our Savior is very forgiving. Because we still sin, right? Like, like as we're talking about this, we're all thinking about that thing that we do all the time. We all know that thing that we do. We're doing it all the time. And we go, oh no. What kind of poison am I? Praise be God to God that he saves us. Praise be to God that he's given us the Spirit. Praise be to God for passages like Romans chapter 4, 5, and 6, which teaches us how to walk by the Spirit. Praise be God that we can fight temptation and that we can say no to the flesh. And I'm so very thankful that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So this is bad. Of course, sin is always bad. We should never give in to sin. We should never be okay with sin. But we should also realize this too. God is forgiving, and because he's forgiving, we can be forgiven even when we do sin. And that is incredible, that security that we have as believers. There's one more thing. Notice the next verse. We're back to this eating honey image. Notice what he says in verse 27. He says, it's not good to eat honey much honey. So we've already seen this several times in in several different ways of if you find honey, honey's great, but if you eat too much, it might make you sick. So we're back to this image of eating too much of it, right? So so, so this is a too much thing. This too much thing makes you sick, okay? And, And so notice, notice he says, nor is it glorious or is it a good thing to seek one's own glory. So just like it's bad to eat too much honey because you'll get sick it's also really bad to try to seek for your own glory and accolades now let's be careful it's not wrong to have a good reputation it's not wrong to work hard it's not wrong to work in your life so that when you get to heaven The Lord will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's not a sinful desire. It's not wrong to honor people and to say, look at the service that they've done for the Lord and and, and look at this example. But what is wrong is when that is all that you are looking for. When, when, When you want that, when you want people to just walk around, talk about how great you are. When you want to be known as the best, and that is all that life is about, is your own glory, so that people look at you, so that you can boast in accomplishments. That's what he's talking about here. There is a good type of recognition. This is all the bad kind. This is pride and arrogance and narcissism, all that bubbling up. That's bad. That's sickening. Not only is it sickening to everyone around you, we've all been around that arrogant person that we're like, please, I'd rather live on the roof than be around this guy who thinks of himself as being so great. And and God doesn't like this. I think he's sickened by us when we try to seek our own glory, right? Right? And the reason I say that is because how many times do we see in the New Testament this idea of let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Apostle Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong and I will boast in my weakness. Go with me to the book of of Ephesians chapter 2. Notice what he says here, just quickly. He says, and you were dead in your sins and trespasses, in verse 1. Verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, uh, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like all the rest. So talking about this the spiritual deadness that we have, this the spiritual proclivity that every single person is born with. We were spiritually dead. We just followed everybody. We were under the the realm of Satan. We followed Satan. We were slaves to sin. We were under the wrath of God. And then verse 4 is then one of the most beautiful statements, right? But God. So you were dead, but notice God does something. And it says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So here we see this incredible grace of God that he saves us based upon his own love and his own mercy that he has towards us. He didn't look at us and say, look, here's a first round pick. I need to get them on my team. It's Here's a spiritually dead person who's incapable of doing anything. I think I will make this one alive because I desire to make this one alive. And then then notice what he says next. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages, you got to love this, He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. You get the sense here, friends, that we are nothing more than just grace trophies of God's grace. That's what you are. You are a demonstration of God's grace and love and mercy. Not that you're anything special, but this is what God has done in and through you. And the image you get is that in age to come, in the next age... When people, if it's possible, question the grace and mercy of God, he might call up any one of us and go, You want to see my grace on full display? Look at this terrible sinner. Look at what I've done to this one. This is an object of my grace. So then, notice what he says in verse 8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? So it's on the basis of faith. And, and, then, and then to further bore down on this, and this is not of your own doing, but it's a gift of God. Not as a result of works, once again, not by your own doing. And then this is what he says, so that no one may boast. Then who are we to boast in? If we can't boast in ourselves, it's to boast in the Lord. And so here, this whole idea of what should I pursue? I should pursue worship. That's making much of God, boasting in God, boasting in what He's done. This morning, we're going to have an opportunity to boast in our Lord, this great richness of mercy and grace that He's lavished upon us in His Son Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity to think about that in greater detail as we take the Lord's Supper. So as I ask. The